Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com. The Todd and Oz Show is live. Get in on the conversation at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Todd and Oz. Yeah, it is 8.05. I'm Todd Jeffries. He's Patrick Osborne at Vandy. Our producer is here. Wow. Uh, yeah, you can jump in anytime you want at 512-836-0590. Yeah. Always a big deal. So the security checkpoint number three, the uh, furthest west security lines at the Austin airport, it will be closed for at least a couple of years. Uh, they're beginning some uh, new expansion projects out there, and uh, and this week they're really starting to break the dirt, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's one of the many expansion projects slated at the airport to increase capacity for more travelers as Austin's population and air traffic continues to grow. The West Enfield Project. It's going to add 75,000 square feet of space to the existing terminal on four levels. Uh, That according to the airport's website. Yeah, the project will expand the security checkpoint from two lanes to eight lanes and allow for more room for uh, ticketing and create more space for new centralized uh, baggage handling systems and will increase the uh, screening capacity. It appears when you add more lanes, the flow of traffic moves a little bit better. How about that? How about that? Maybe uh, rethink thirty-five. Should they pay a yeah. little attention to this? Well, we bring this up because you're, you're going to see some uh, you're going to see some additional delays and quite a mess in some locations at the airport. A spokesperson said the two-year closure of this checkpoint number three uh, during the construction phase it should not impact security wait times for passengers. That's what they're hoping. Yeah, the uh, the two uh, yeah the two scanners that they have the newest scanners. Uh, that passengers place their carry-on luggage through as they go through the security checkpoints. Uh, three are being moved uh, to the remaining checkpoints that are still open. Yeah, so they'll still be able to facilitate in checking the bags. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're and they're adding additional lanes to the to the checkpoints that yeah. are still open, right? All right. Uh, and then I think eight lanes, up to eight lanes that they're going to have in that checkpoint three once it finally reopens. That's a regular interstate right there, man. That's big deal. <laughs> it is. This is needed. I mean, you've got uh, twenty one more than twenty one million passengers in twenty twenty two, and then I think we had like more than twenty two million last year. Mm. And I think we're built for. What was it, only like fifteen million or or twenty million or something? Yeah, I think we were busting at the seams, and so this this is very much needed. What 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 amazes me though is the fact that once the expansion is is complete, the expansion that has not even been built yet, right, will be bigger than what we currently have as an entire airport. Wow, this is a massive undertaking, massive two years just to just to expand this one part of the terminal, that infill project. It's a cool place, man. The, oh, the airport's cool. I I like it. They got they got a lot of great food at the airport. And uh, you can never go wrong if, if you've got the money, because there's always a little pricey in the airport. I mean, sure. Captive audience, you know. But if you, it, it's you can never go wrong. You're never, you're certainly never going to run out of options there. All right, uh, listen, you can jump in at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Yeah, more lanes at the airport. Uh, but some of the city council members, uh, they don't want more lanes on I-35. No. Including uh, a couple of um, mayor candidates. Uh, Kathy Tovo, one, wants to be your mayor. She doesn't want to widen I-35 at all. Leave it alone. And in fact, she actually may want to eliminate it completely. That racist dividing line. That's is, right, because that makes is, sense. Yeah, some refer to it. That's a, a, that. That makes sense. Just just get rid of the one of the, the busiest interstates in the country. Yeah, 
I, I will never understand that logic. I mean, I, and, you know, and the whole thing of, well, you know, we're going to have more asphalt, and that means that uh, uh, temperatures are going to go up, and, and we're going to have this big old heat dome. Doing, d- doing nothing is certainly not an option, and I have not heard anything, any alternative proposals that would work any better. It is 809. Uh, jump in at 512-836-0590. Hang on a second. We're going to shift to the breaking news out of Michigan, the mother of a school shooter convicted of involuntary manslaughter. Jennifer Crumbly was led out of court in handcuffs after being found guilty on the second day of jury deliberation. She is the first parent in the United States to be tried in connection to their child's mass school shooting. Crumbly sat silently as the verdict was read in court. We find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. And in count four of involuntary manslaughter against Justin Schilling, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. There you go. Jennifer Crumbly, the Michigan mom, a charge in connection with her son's deadly school rampage back in 2021, convicted yesterday of involuntary manslaughter, an unprecedented case. It is. It is. I think they got it right, though. I mean, it's it's not the same as if this, this kid had gone out onto the street found, you know, one of his buddies knew somebody who could get him a gun and he went, you know, and his parents had no idea. His parents actually bought him the gun. Yeah. And and they knew about his his mental health troubles. And so I think this was a a warranted ruling. And when, and, and when you say they knew about his mental health troubles, including that day, the school called mom and dad to campus because their boy was drawing pictures of guns and shooting up kids inside a journal. Yeah. And talking about how you needed mental health care. He was having some problems. Mm-hmm. Hearing things. That sort of thing. Well, mom and dad just left him. And nobody said anything about checking his backpack for a gun that mom and dad had bought him at the age of 15. A handgun. Yes. yes. And he had uh, unlimited access to it. Well, the unanimous verdict, uh, it, it came in a, on the second day of deliberations. Uh, Andrea Brodus of NBC News spoke with a couple of the parents who uh, lost their child. I just spoke with the father of Hannah St. Juliana, and we also heard from the father of Justin Schilling. Those parents who lost their children in that shooting say today is a step toward accountability, but also looking forward to what is next. The cries have been heard, and it, I, I feel that this verdict is gonna echo throughout every household in the country. and. I feel it's necessary, and I'm I'm happy with the verdict. Jennifer Crumbly found by this jury guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter. One parent telling me it's not a matter of if this is going to happen again, but when. And he was referring to mass shootings taking place at schools. There you go. That's Adrian Abrotis of NBC News uh, there in Michigan. I, I don't know for sure, uh, but uh, usually a lot of these school shooters are on some sort of uh, SSRI drugs. You know what I mean? You know, for uh, for their mental illness. Yeah that's, yeah. that's typically the common denominator in some of these shootings. I don't know if he was, but he actually needed some mental health care. And, and, the, and the prosecution did a really good job of portraying mom and dad as, as not really caring about his his mental capacity. Well, yeah. Uh, from what, you know, he had, there were text messages and journal entries Things that jurors saw that indicated that this Ethan kid had asked for help and his parents really hadn't provided or, or, or were even willing to provide him with that help. Um, and if that was the case, then yeah, you know, the, it, here's one of those situations where there was a big bright red flag in your face and you just kind of pushed it out of the way because it was, you know, a, a nuisance to you. I'm not too sure about the involuntary manslaughter side of it. I'm not sure if that was the right charge, the right conviction. Uh, but uh, listen, we'd love to get your thoughts. What do you think about this story? It's uh, This is the first of its kind. 
Yesterday, a big announcement from the city of Austin announcing the relocation of 33 homeless people and six pets who were previously living in the same encampments uh, to a city-owned shelter. The encampment was located in a high flood risk area of East Austin. The extensive cleanup process is underway at that encampment, which is near uh, Longhorn Dam in East Cesar Chavez Street. That cleanup is expected to take several weeks. It's a big area. I've it seen is. video from the Dash uh, on on uh, on X on the Twitterverse. Dash mm-hmm. is uh, as gentleman a documentarian that's been going out and videotaping some of these encampments. And man, this was a big one. Well, apparently the uh, the thirty three people who uh, who are uh, living there are now living in the uh, North Bridge Shelter, which is a temporary shelter. Correct. It's just a bridge shelter. Right. So they're technically still homeless. And and to be honest. We're not sure that they're still even there. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, just because they were relocated there doesn't mean that they didn't leave there the same day. Yeah, the city is very excited. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Austin's uh, homeless strategy officer, David Gray, and the city, they come out and they make these big announcements insinuating that they got 33 people off of the streets. The reality is they cleaned up their mess and moved them to another location for a day or two. Yeah. So, so, so don't think that we have, uh, have been successful here. This, we haven't. We just kind of moved it around a little bit. They only did this because they felt that this was a high-risk campsite, right? It, 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 they didn't do this because three years ago you voted overwhelmingly to bring back the camping ban. They didn't do this because they're worried about public safety. They didn't do this because of any other reason. Then they said, oh, flood risk. So we got to get it. Otherwise, these people would still be languishing in this big, filthy campsite. Well, it's a good reason to get them out of there, Absolutely. Right? I mean, because I mean, some of these big floods, these flash floods, uh, there could have been 33 people wiped out. Absolutely. But it shouldn't take that for the city to, you know, get up and get off its butt and actually do something that the voters told it to do. Yeah. I mean, in May, it'll be three full years. It, it, it's safe to say that there are currently hundreds in, in flood zones right now. Absolutely. Sleeping no, in the bushes. No doubt. Right? No doubt about it. And, and, and a lot of the stuff, too, you know, the, the, that debris from their campsites, you know, if they're too close, it can get, it clog up and, and create these big floods oh. as well, you know, clog up drainage. I mean, there are a lot of problems that the city should be addressing, but, of course, it wants to be compassionate, so it won't. Well, this is all part of the housing-focused encampment assistance link, the HEALS initiative. Does mm-hmm. I get that right? The HEAL yes. initiative? Yes. Uh, here's a quote from the city of Austin's homeless strategy czar, David Gray. He says, ensuring dignity and well-being for those experiencing homelessness, HEAL provides a direct pathway to the crisis shelter from the most unsafe encampments and an opportunity to obtain stable housing. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Is, is, is 700, you know, they, well, 694 is the number they say that they've, they've moved off through the HEAL initiative since 2021. Right. Is that a is that a big number? It's not 21? a big. It's not a big number, and and there's no way of knowing how many of the 694 are actually in per- permanent supportive housing. Yeah, there's there's no way of knowing that. The, the the I just I say it's zero actually. Probably knowing and, knowing and, the city and the way that they and, talk about a lack of housing and shelter. And until the city starts talking about success on the, on and addressing this issue in terms of yeah, we were able to get 200 people into permanent housing. Last year, we were able to get 3,000 people into permanent housing last year. They they can't say that because they don't have that kind of success record. Well, and again, it could be one of those things where just because you got someone into permanent housing doesn't mean that they didn't, you know, backslide or decide to leave uh, six months, a year later. You know, yeah. I would want to see data every six months, 
maybe. You know, I mean, here's daily. where we are. How about daily? Yeah. Daily even would be better. But, you know, the city loves not not telling the full story. Well, the uh, Heal Initiative was approved by the city council in February of 21. And since then, uh, they have uh, they say that they've moved 694 people into uh, you know, from these high-risk encampments into the North Bridge or the South Bridge shelters. And once again, those are temporary. I don't think they could stay there for years on end. No, no, they're, they're the bridge shelter, the bridge between your camp and your permanent supportive housing. Oh, uh, oh by the way, the city wants me to, to run through this list of uh, folks that helped in this effort to clean up that encampment. And I want you to listen to uh, the names of these various departments. And every time I say a name, there should be a ka behind it. Because this is what it's costing you, this homeless crisis. Austin Public Health's Homeless Strategy Division. The Homeless Outstreet, uh, Outreach Street Team. Austin's Parks and Recreation Department. Integral Care. The Austin Police Department. The Austin Area Urban League. And a few other handful of uh, community partners. That's a lot of effort, man. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of resources. Yeah, I, I, and you know, each one of these departments, these individual city departments, even though the you know, the city says it's, it's consolidating everything into that one homeless strategy office. Yeah. Homelessness alone still costs all of these individual departments significant sums of money every year, just, you know, whether it's through enforcement of this or, or cleaning up damage from that. Parks Department has got has to always have a big old bill from homelessness, it seems like. And how many homeless do we have living on the streets according to the city's own numbers? 10,000, I think, on the, on the city's website. Is it 10,000? Well, the city, the city had the number of 10,000 on its website. I didn't, I didn't think it was that high. I thought it was much lower. It, it, that may be the number of all combined, you, you know, in shelter and on the street. But at, uh, at the, the city, the city's own numbers. Uh, Echo, the Indian Community Homelessness Coalition, I think they're going to say it's, you know, several thousand less than that. How about this idea? Launch an effort, including using that $600 million that the city is setting on to deal with this issue and has been setting on it for years. Use that $600 million, and this is plenty. In fact, you'll have a whole lot left over. Build 10,000 tiny homes in far eastern Travis County, near the Mobile Loaves and Fishes, uh, you know, uh, place they have out yeah. there of tiny homes, and, and get everybody out of the bushes and out of the, out of the streets. How about that? Anybody like that idea? And if nobody wants to take advantage of those free houses, those free tiny houses, then they have to leave town. It would be illegal to sleep on the streets and sleep in the woods of Austin. How about, is that Okay. Is that, a, is that a good starting point of negotiations and conversations? Well, in theory, everybody would have a roof over their head. Because all the city is doing is just t- taking your money and kind of moving the furniture on the Titanic around a little bit here and there. Well, that's why they don't want these, to solve the problem. These 33 people are not at the Northbridge shelter. Some of them may be. Maybe. But there's no 30, way for us to know. These 33 people are not there. The city doesn't want, to, I challenge, doesn't want to fix the problem. And I challenge the city to prove me wrong. 33 people that you moved from that encampment near Longhorn Dam, none of them are there today at, North, at the Northbridge Shelter. Wait, 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 what makes you think that none of them are there? Because it's just a temporary shelter. I know. They but, can't stay there very long. But they could stay there for some weeks, from what I understand. They're not there. Right. They're already gone. They don't like the rules. They left. Could be. That's my opinion. Could be. And I challenge the city to prove me wrong. Uh, Jay in Westlake this morning. Hey, Jay. Hey, yeah. Comment about the city council, the Democrats on the city council. They sure have a funny way of of minding the uh, environmental uh, religion because Democrats have let 10 million more migrants and illegal aliens into the country in the last two and a half years. Mm. That equates to 10 million more homes, 10 million more cars. 
10 million more users of schools, hospitals, um, pollution. And if the estimate that I'm working with is correct, we have, I think, na- nationally about six to eight million shortages of homes. Mm-hmm. in the country yeah you you, you so, cannot you cannot address the affordability crisis and have an open border at the same time yeah you can't address the homeless crisis and have an open border at the same time it's impossible a really funny way to pay attention to environmental religion mm. when you're inviting population explosion over a two and a half year period yeah. 10 million more people building out ugly track homes in beautiful farmland of Taylor and New Braunfels and outer reaches of Austin. All that beautiful soil being torn up and put roads and crappy houses for 10 million migrants. Yeah. I Good hear job, you, Democrats. Yeah, thank you, Jay. here on the Todd and Oz Show. Come on now, jump in at 512-836-0590. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley is walking back claims that Texas can secede from the union. Experts say she's um, she's dead wrong when she told a radio show the states have the right to leave the union. Uh, And that's, uh, well, if that's what residents want. Here's what uh, she had to say. Hang on a second. Uh, here's the story from the Texas State Network. The Civil War resolved one thing. It was that states do not have the right to secede. Yeah. All right. There you go. Now, Rice University political analyst Mark Jones there, he says the rhetoric by Haley is a desperate plea to the far right fringes because she's getting clobbered in the polls. And she has since walked back her comments saying instead that Texas has the right to protect its borders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she is right about that. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, growing up when I was a kid, I remember, you know, there was always kind of this urban legend that, that when Texas joined the union, uh, we, we put in, you, you know, codified somewhere in there that we could leave anytime we wanted. And that was, you know, obviously that's not true. And, and Nikki Haley should have known better than to, than to say that. Although there are a lot of, I mean, you know, you hear the, the, the word Texas a lot more these days, especially with the, the situation with Greg Abbott versus the, the white house along the border and the white house wanting to just open it all up and let anybody come in and, Texas being the only one that actually wants to secure anything. So, I, you know, there, I, I think Nikki, you're right. She was just trying to capitalize on that Well, what on do you that, think about the sort of – you brought up those folks that talk about Texas. What do you think about that? I mean, is it, uh, is it far-fetched? Uh, I, I think in, in reality, you know, I, I don't think it would be something that would, would be an easy thing to do. I think, I think making it happen is pretty far-fetched, but – then again, uh, stranger things have happened throughout throughout the course of history. But there are a lot of people that are just sick and tired of, of the way that this, you know, the Washington D.C. Nothing ever comes out of the, that that benefits the people of the of this country anymore or of this state. In fact, they actively fight against us and they sue us. Out of control spending, illegal aliens beating up cops, yeah. mask mandates, yeah, failed uh, exits out of Afghanistan, massive, uh, you know, uh, massive illegal border crossings. Mm. Uh, yeah, Texans are pissed. And, and, rightfully uh, so. and, 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 and and the rights, the rights when they talk about Texas, they're right. They are because the federal government is not doing its job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, th- I no, no doubt. I, th- I think that they are, are, they're well within their right to, you know, believe in, in, in something like that, a Texas. Yeah. But like I said, you know, putting it into practice, making it happen. I mean, you know, 
that would that would be a, a very very high mountain to climb. Listen, uh, Axios has a story this morning, uh, and and they describe uh, the problem as as a, as a staggering decline in the number of trips that Austin residents take by putting one foot in front of the other. Staggering decline of uh, foot traffic, if you will. This according to uh, Axios' Alex Fitzpatrick. Uh, and, and, and according to the story, the number of annual average daily walking trips per 1,000 people in the Austin metro dropped 37.5% between 2019 and 2022. And, uh, and I guess they're collecting their data from this streetlight data report. What does this mean? Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I guess this is significant just in that the the city of Austin is is trying actively, you know, through various programs, pilot programs, and and the way it's reengineering roads, they're actively trying to get you out of your car to force you to walk more, even though this is not at all a walkable city. Uh, but it so this kind of goes against the you know the city's efforts to make that happen, get you into public transit. They want, uh, you know, but I think uh, we obviously don't have that yet. So people are driving. Yeah, there were 200 average daily walking trips per 1,000 people in 2022 compared to 320 in 2019. Axios says that's even a steeper decline than the uh, national average, which dropped 36 percent during the same period. Now, Streetlight, they measure travel behavior based on, uh, well, data from mobile devices, vehicle GPS systems and more. Uh, and for this analysis, one walking trip is any trip taken by foot that is more than 250 meters, 820 feet uh, from start to finish. Why is this important to collect this data? I, I, I don't really know. I mean, other, other than, you know, helping cities sort of lobby for more funding to create more pedestrian walking trails and things like that. Axios is a, uh, is a mayor-friendly, especially a progressive, uh, you know, friendly mayor's uh, website. But I'm looking here when they're talking about, they define a walking trip as any trip that is more than 820 feet. That's a trip? Yeah, I mean, you, know, you walked in the mailbox sometimes. You've gone, sure. you know, that's not a trip. You just went to the mailbox. Axios reports that Austin officials have worked to make the city more walkable in recent years. You know, creating the shared streets pilot program in some neighborhoods to slow the traffic down and improve pedestrian access around uh, Zilker Park. City council members in November also approved updates to Austin's urban trails, bicycle and sidewalk plans to try to increase how many people walk, bike, and uh, use public transit to get to work and school. Mm. Now, what's, it's clear that the pandemic had an impact, according to Streetlight, uh, but, uh, but beyond that, the group isn't sure what's keeping Americans off of their feet. Now, some of this could be the remote work. Which can, uh, which can make it easy to become, uh, you know, where you, you don't have to walk as much. Sure, sure. Right? I, I mean, if you if you if you typically work downtown and you walk to lunch, well, there you go. That's one trip, two trips that have been taken away from the data. Right. I don't know why all this data is important. I don't. I don't think it is at all. Other other than like I said, you know, as the city is trying to enact its 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 changes to infrastructure and looking for for grant funding, but this is to me, this is not a. Uh, I, and think about it too. It, it's real hot out there in the summer. So who wants to walk in that? Who wants to dodge machete strikes? And step over homeless people as they as they aggressively demand that you give them money out there somewhere. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of reasons I could see people not want to walk around Austin. I love the days. way uh, Axios highlights these two programs that uh, that Austin implemented. They spent a bunch of money on the Shared Streets Project and uh, and, and 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 a couple of others, but the programs didn't work. Of course, it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Is it uh, Paul? Paul downtown. Good morning. <laughs> 
Hi, good morning. It's uh, it's funny that you mentioned the walking to lunch. I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally sitting on Congress right now, driving to my parking garage. I used to walk to lunch every day. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, I just, I don't anymore. I, br- I bring my lunch every day um, in, in large part because I don't want to deal with all the homeless people. I just, I just get yep. sick of it. Well, yeah, yeah, so, yeah it, it's, sure- it's safer and you're saving money too at the same time, right? Yeah, saving money and, and I get more work done and, and I'm sure that the, uh, you know, the people, the sandwich places and whatnot that I used to frequent, I'm sure that they, uh, I'm sure they enjoy the missed business that they don't get anymore. So thanks, thanks city council. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Commercial real estate is taking a big hit because people are still working from home. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman earlier this week on 60 Minutes kind of talked a little bit about the, you know, the banks and the balance sheets with the commercial real estate. They think uh, they're going to be fine. But uh, some of those properties are incredibly overvalued right now mm-hmm. with nobody in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, on a similar note, uh, you know, because we got a lot of people in the city of Austin, whether it be city employees or, or even a lot in the private sector who, you know, found ways to not go back but work from home. And you've got a lot of these commercial tax bills that are just through the roof that, that these companies are still having to pay more and more because of Project Connect and things like sure, that. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, if nobody's coming into work, Uh, I mean, that's going to take its toll after a while. Listen, it appears that the Austin City Council and the leaders, the creators of Project Connect, that light rail plan, it appears that, uh, well, they just don't have the density or the users to support the federal dollars. Uh Uh-oh. They're kind of admitting it now. They seem to be confident that the feds can get money, you know, they can get money from the feds anyway if they just change the zoning rules, development rules, and things like that. They're not even thinking about the negative impact on residential neighborhoods. That is a quote from former Travis County Judge Bill Elshire this morning in the ex-Twitterverse. He's responding to a a story uh, in, uh, in the Austin Monitor where the Austin City Council is uh, well-approved a resolution designed to increase Austin's chances of winning federal money to assist in building the first phase of Project Connect with an emphasis on development of housing for low-income and middle-income residents along the rail line. Now, in addition, the resolution directs the staff to modify downtown parking regulations and amend the East Riverside Corridor regulating plan by creating an equitable transit-oriented development overlay, an ETOD. You know, for properties located, uh, you know, or on or near the rail line. Yeah, this new overlay will offer opportunities for the creation of a density bonus program within the ETOD. In other words, they promised you, the voters, that if you say yes to Project Connect, creating this whole new transportation department known as the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the transit partners, who, by the way, have been collecting a whole lot of tax money since you voted yes on that yes, what, several have. years ago. Yeah. Guess they got close to a billion dollars now, and they've built nothing. Bottom line is, they never had the density. They never had any of the requirements that the feds have on the table, um, you know, to, to throw money at this kind of project. Mm-hmm. They, they lied to you. They tricked you. They did. Total bait and switch. And, and, and this story in the Austin Monitor is proof. According to the memo from the staff, the Austin Transit Partnership expects to submit its application to the Federal Transit Administration for initial scoring in late summer. So they're hoping that the density is where it should be in order for the feds to say, yeah, 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 we'll throw more money at you to build your choo-choo train. And not to mention the feds are not happy with uh, our ridership in Austin at Capital Metro. Pretty stagnant for the past 
40 years, 30 years. Since the very creation <laughs> of Capital Metro. Hang on a second. Let me, let me grab something out of my briefcase here. Hang on. Yeah, it, 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 they really have not been impressive with their ridership numbers. They tout a lot of, you know, we had gains from month to month. But ultimately, you're right. Really hasn't changed much at all. No, not at all. None. And, but, hey, let's go ahead and spend buku billions of dollars on a, on a train that also no one will ride. Yeah, because it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, they collect tens of millions of dollars a year from the taxpayers, but they have not improved ridership at all no. since the creation of Capital Metro. No. All right, 512-836-0590. Uh, there is a new development on this front when it comes to a historic burger restaurant here in town. Dirty Martins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. saw today uh, a report by uh, KXAN. Uh, Dirty Martin's actually one of several properties that are no longer at risk of being uh, pushed out and displaced under this this uh, boondoggle Project well, Connect light rail system. You don't want to piss off the people even more, right? You got to save it. Yeah, well, you, you, you've already lied and tricked to the people at the polls, and now you and now you, you don't want to do anything else that might anger the people. Yeah, well, I, absolutely. And and considering the fact that it is so much smaller and and, and so much less than what the voters were promised and voted on, uh, I I wouldn't want to sacrifice something like Dirty Martin's for this uh, this ridiculous line that, again, is not really going to be able to take most people where they need to go. But apparently uh, the, the Austin Transit Partnership told KXAN that uh, they, they've reevaluated station locations and traffic flow in the area before determining the project uh, would no longer con- c- uh, conflict with existing buildings between 27th and 29th Streets. Mm. So you got Mighty Moe's, uh, let's see, Abu Omar, Halal, Whataburger, Dirty Martins, The Ballroom at Spider House, a bunch of businesses like that that were facing displacement because of this this train that that are no longer. So thank God at least for Dirty Martins because I, I, I it's one of my favorite burgers since I was a boy. Well, most of the city council members, according to the Austin Monitor, seem enthusiastic about this plan uh, with only uh, council member McKenzie Kelly voting no. She said there's a, a lot of unknowns and concerns that have been described to me by the community. And, uh, and as such, I just can't support it right now. Councilmember Allison Alter voted in favor of the resolution, but also raised some concerns. She says, I'm comfortable moving forward with this item, recognizing that it uh, presents great opportunities for us to increase our housing supply where we most want to see that growth happen. However, I do anticipate that some uh, preemptions of these changes may cause some concerns for the community. And I hope that we'll be ready to respond to those concerns and when they open the creative problem solving. I look forward uh, to what comes back. She concluded, uh, but added that she would be looking uh, closely at the details before finally deciding whether or not to support this ordinance or not. Yeah. 512-836-0590. Councilman Jose Vasquez He says deeply affordable multifamily housing with access to transit is the only way we can work to minimize the displacement of lower and middle income Austinites. It's all about them. That's all that matters, right? Don't worry about anyone being displaced. Just, you know, the the, the same old rhetoric over and over and over again. And that really kind of plays into what they want to do. You know, that whole density, that like 15 minute city kind of thing they want, you know, where we got to have really dense multifamily housing. Right next to a bunch of public transit lines. So you, you know, and we'll have everything you need right there. You, need, you don't need to travel anywhere outside, outside your little 15-minute bubble that we created for you. Councilman Chido Vela and Zoe Cadre, they offered amendments making uh, relatively minor changes. Uh, but uh, but there you go. Yeah, that story there in the Austin Monitor. Uh, you can jump in at 512-836-0590. And uh, let's squeeze in uh, Scott in Round Rock. He wants to wait on this story about Jennifer Crumley. 
That's the Michigan mom that's been, uh, that was charged in connection with her son's deadly school shooting back in 2021. She has now been found guilty on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Uh, there you go. She faces up to 15 years in prison uh, for each of those counts. Each of those counts is a child that was shot yes. in that school there in Michigan. Yes. Uh, Scott and Ron Rock, good morning. Good morning. I would just like to, uh, well, say, uh, love the dialogue of uh, real, real ideas for real uh, issues. Love the show. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate that. The uh, wanted to make. I've been in education for thirty years and uh, seen a lot of things and uh, been in a lot of meetings. Uh, we need better leadership throughout the country, and uh, better leadership in the schools would go a long way. Mm -hmm. uh, making reference to when the parents and the school administrators, whoever was in the meeting, gave ideas, showed the parents their son with gun drawings, or they're in the meeting, and they advised their the parents to have their son get some help and they refused and they were held accountable but the school mm. uh, i don't know if their hands are tied but uh through protocol they could have in my opinion should have then if you want your child to remain in school we are going to move them to an, the alternative school yeah. where they have less students and the student can be monitored. They can be frisked for a weapon. Sure. They can be counseled. Yeah. They can be talked to. They can be monitored. And they can get some help and monitored in that situation. Sure, that makes sense. That makes don't just put them back into the school or in society and they're a continued threat. Yeah, that, and that's a, that appears to exactly what happened. In fact, the school found uh, his spiral or a notebook or a journal that day where he was drawing pictures of a gun and shooting up uh, kids. And so they called his parents into the school. They had a meeting. And at no point, I guess, did the school, uh, the principal say, hey, mom, dad, does your child have access to guns? Mm -hmm. That would been a simple question, right? Yeah, sure. Would. They, and mom and dad had just bought their 15-year-old a handgun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the adult should have said, hey, let's check that backpack. <laughs> the Todd and Oz Show, weekday mornings 5 to 10 on News Radio KLBJ. Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272. Or austinpaindoctor.com.